0: Welcome back to the Jason Ranch Show. This is Tim Gatos guest hosting for Jason today. So glad to be with you. Jason is traveling, promoting his book. You've got to check it out. Make sure you get it. It's going out tomorrow. What's Killing America? Make sure you pick it up. Let's find out what's trending.
1: What's trending
0: on the road? Governor Inslee, he is uh, pushing our gas prices uh, to the brink. I was. You know, gone the summer. I was uh, earlier in August. I was in Hawaii, and typically, when I've been to Hawaii in the past, Hawaii is by far uh, the more expensive place for gas than the state of Washington, considering where Hawaii is in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. No longer the case. I got there and I was like, "Man, the cheap in gas in Hawaii now is is very cheap," and. Gas in Washington has absolutely crested and pushed past every state. We are now battling with California as the highest uh, gas prices in the country. And there's a lot of conversation and controversy about that. Is Are they doing that on purpose so that everyone can push towards electric vehicles? Um, are they not doing that on purpose? There's No one's really being quite transparent about that. Uh, Some, like uh, Senator Joe Nguyen, have have been uh, more transparent. Governor Inslee has not been as transparent. He said it would only be a matter of pennies regarding this carbon tax. And and now the push is on towards electric vehicles, and a lot of people – surmise and think that that really is just kind of the underlying strategy, try to push everybody towards electric vehicles, make the pain at the pump so much so bad that you people just don't have a choice. I've got to get an electric vehicle, but this is just a, it really is a a frustrating conversation because it really is just pushing on so many of us um, around how expensive it is to live in the state of Washington it never used to be this way, but it is now. It is very expensive to live here. And the answer to expensive gas is to buy a $40,000, 50000 electric vehicle. And it just shows, I think, in a lot of ways how out of touch our politicians are. And that they really are not thinking about the middle class, the working class, not really thinking about what that means to so many of us who are truly living you know, paycheck to paycheck. And it really is uh, discouraging. And there was a, a question in the Seattle Times, is Inslee's plan working? Because people in King County are now moving towards electric vehicles at staggering rates. But I'm sure you can guess that the rest of the state, particularly in eastern Washington, is not. Because... One, who can afford it Two, the infrastructure is very difficult. People who drive greater distances and you can drive less and there's not enough uh, fuel up spots and all those kind of questions. And again, it begs the question, are our politicians, are they really understanding what it means to really live in today's society today? Max, are you an EV guy?
2: Uh, who, who, not on a radio producer's salary. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) there's no way, there's no way. I mean, uh, you know, I think I'm somewhat close to like the, the median salary range here in the city of Seattle. Right. So I don't know how on earth I'm supposed to afford a a Tesla or, you know, I was listening to somebody talk about like the, the Rivian trucks, uh, that are like a hundred thousand dollars. And yeah, I get it. Like the, the EV market is probably going to, come down to where it is a little bit more affordable as they become more common as, you know, in places like Washington are really advocating for the, for this kind of stuff, but no, I, I can't afford an electric vehicle. I mean, yeah, gas is horribly expensive and I, I get what they're trying to do. I, I, I see this gas station on it's on 15th in Ballard, five ninety nine. At the pump, I, I'm convinced. My goodness, I'm convinced it's the most expensive one in the city and probably in the state. Quite possibly in the country, I've actually started doing some preliminary research on this, and it's actually quite hard to to find out gas prices without literally just driving around to every single gas station in the city because not a lot of them report them online or on all those like Gas Buddy type apps. But five ninety nine to it just blows my mind every single time. I know that's not every single gas station is five ninety nine, but I mean, what, what's the average right now? Five. 15, 520. What, mm-hmm. what did you pay the last time at the pump? I paid 529 in Seattle. It's yeah. brutal.
0: I try to find the the Indian reservations. Um, they have the, the more uh, affordable gas. If I'm going out up Snohomish or down to Tacoma, I'm, that's what I'm aiming for. But you live in Seattle, right? Right. Well, it's not often, but I try to a.m. p.m.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, you have to strategize to try to find the cheapest gas. It's ridiculous, but, you know, the, that's exactly – your point remains the same, though, uh, that they're trying to force you out
0: of the gas-guzzling cars. I just wish people would just be honest and transparent. And, I, again, I feel like Governor Inslee is just not forthright, and he's not honest and transparent about the strategy. We saw this during COVID where he was caught a couple times on a hot mic where he talked about uh, – using the COVID pandemic to, you know, essentially push, you know, his environmental policies and can can we just at least have open and honest conversations about it instead of being underhanded and not really truly being forthright about this. If, if your strategy is just to get people into EVs, then just be forthright and honest about it. But right. What we're seeing with these, with these gas prices in the state of Washington, which are, uh, skyrocketing to levels we've never seen before, it's incredibly discouraging for so many of us who are, again, living paycheck to paycheck, and the, the the thought or idea of going to an electric vehicle is is laughable, to be honest with you. Just, I mean, it's just a laughable concept.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's so tough for for anybody that's in, you know, my generation, my age range, to to think about. Potentially being able to afford an electric vehicle. I mean, we're a generation that there are not that many homeowners that are, you know, in my demographic like it's tough everything is tough costs are high airport meals tim cost 78 dollars in the economy these days with the inflation the way it is everything costs so much money so yeah it is laughable the thought of trying to be able to afford an electric vehicle and i just don't think there are too many people that are full force behind this the way jay Inslee seems to think
0: there are Marie Perez, you know, who's a Democratic congresswoman down in southwest Washington in Skamania County. <laughs> she said the other day, people who work can't blank pay. We're not buying Teslas, she said. People who get paychecks and then look at them aren't buying Teslas. And yeah, I, I, again, going back to that conversation about uh, when we talk about Shama Swat, people who stand on their convictions and are honest and transparent, I have, I have respect for them, even if I don't agree with them. And just be honest. Be transparent about what you're trying to do. Don't try to be underhanded about it.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's just it's such a hard sell uh, on the common man, this EV agenda. And. I'll be honest, Tim, I don't even really like the way Teslas look. I think they're kind of cookie cutter. (laughs) But I think that's a secondary, tertiary point there. I don't care for the appearance of those cars very much.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll, I'm hoping that um, we can talk, uh, you know, on Friday I'll be be back on the program and talk to Todd Myers with the Washington Policy Center. He has done some uh, incredible work on this. And we'll dive a little deeper into this when it comes to uh, the carbon tax and all that kind of stuff. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending at home Wednesday waterfront park. There's a peer party. Who doesn't like a peer party? Do you, do you like you like peer parties? So
2: I I can't imagine it would be a bad time.
0: (laughs) We talked earlier about the waterfront park and that is a incredible asset coming to um, our region and this Wednesday, they're holding a huge party on Waterfront Park at the pier, Pier 62. So if that's something that's interesting to you, if you've been wondering what that park is like, because every single day they're getting that ready, they're starting to put more of the the bike paths in, they're putting more of the plants in and the gardening and all that landscaping. And this Wednesday is a huge party that they're throwing down at pier 62 so uh you should go down there and check it out you can come say hi to me max you should show up too what time's it at 7 p.m
2: oh i'd have to hustle we, we get off the air here at 655 so yeah i'll hustle you can but make it now that, that pier area has uh improved quite a lot ever since i i moved back i find myself uh, going down there at least going through that area quite a lot and you know that's an area that has a lot of potential. You talked about in the first hour. I think that that little cove that they built down there at Pioneer Square. Right. There is always people there. You know, normally you know I'm down there for ball games a lot. It's normally people wearing those out of town jerseys. Like these are the kinds of things that that you want to see to show off the positive aspects of this city. Uh, But, yeah, I'm all on board for the improvements that are going on down there along the waterfront. Pier party sounds like a great time.
0: Yeah. A lot of people are asking, with this waterfront park opening, (laughs) is this just going to go downhill quickly, right? Because we see other public areas in Seattle that are full of graffiti and trash. And is this just going to be another area that disintegrates? And I do have to say, the Friends of Waterfront Park, uh, they are uh, the nonprofit group. They are tasked by the city of Seattle to oversee the programming and the activation of this park uh, they are they're doing a fantastic job they are i, I have talked joy shigaki she's their he, she's the executive director of the Friends of Waterfront Park. They are very proactive they are working very hard i've seen them in action numerous times and they're striving to be a very safe vibrant place that everybody can go. again, being a, being a dad, want to take my kids down there and they're doing a great job. The friends of waterfront park. And I've, I do have high hopes, high, high hopes for what's going to happen down on the waterfront. And I think if you've gone down there, they do um, offer a lot of different, Activation and programming. Again, this pier party is going to be a lot of fun. But they, if you've never been to the Friends of Waterfront Park, their website, you should check them out because there are a number of offerings and all these different things they do, especially coming in in the fall and winter. They do these bonfires on the pier where they put a, uh, s'mores and all this kind of stuff, live music. It's a lot of fun. So, pier party this Wednesday down at Waterfront Park. Let's find out what else is trending.
1: what's trending let's debate
0: sean hannity's to moderate a groundbreaking debate between the governor of california gavin newsom and florida ron desantis this is (laughs) this is going to be a lot of fun this is going to be a lot of fun a lot of fireworks and i tell you i've got a lot of appreciation for uh, the three of them for hannity for newsom and desantis for doing this What, what do you think max
2: Oh man, this is, uh, I don't know, (laughs) I don't know what the uh, expressed written purpose of this debate is, but uh, I think it's going to be uh, quite good TV. Uh, I think it'll play very well to play clips on a, a certain radio show as well after the fact, but I mean, Gavin Newsom... Yeah, I think everybody has has thoughts on him, and it'll be good for Ron DeSantis to get some more publicity. Uh, you know, I know we'll uh, we'll talk about the debate with Madison Allworth uh, coming up at five forty five, the Republican debate that will air here on Wednesday. Uh, but Ron DeSantis, the the campaign has taken a little bit of a hit since the uh, since the first Republican debate a couple of weeks back. So it's I think any opportunity to get Ron DeSantis on a stage to get him uh, in front of potential voters expressing. Uh, you know his ideals, his campaign. I, I don't think that can be a bad thing. I think I think you'd square up quite well uh, against Gavin Newsom.
0: Well, here's what a lot of people are thinking right now. So we had a new ABC News poll just came out shows President Trump up by ten points on President Biden. More polls have been coming out, uh, even uh, Democrat leaning polls, polls just for Democrats showing a a lot of hesitancy about Biden running again. Numbers that we've never seen ever from an incumbent. So we're talking about, you know, 56% of Democrats wanting another candidate to run in place of Biden because they believe that he doesn't have the stamina, the age, the wisdom, you name it, to run again. That is unbelievable. We've never seen anything like that in modern history for an incumbent. And here we are, Gavin Newsom, who many believe is trying to get teed up, queued up to be the potential replacement for a president Biden. And for him, it, you know, it's a, it's a no brainer. Uh, Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get myself into the nation's consciousness and, and get out there, get myself out there. And, this this could very well be what could be happening is we could see a Biden dropping out and a Newsom coming in. What do you think, Max?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, Gavin Newsom can't really come out and say that he's running for president, right? But, I mean, yeah, your point is exactly on the mark here. And, you know, in a not-too-far-off alternate universe, right, it could be DeSantis versus Newsom for the presidency i don't think it's a huge stretch of the imagination you know depending on what truly becomes of all the indictments against donald trump you don't know what's going to happen obviously the concerns about jill biden are very apparent as you spelled them out so i mean this is like the, the next in line race uh, on both sides so i'm actually i'm very curious uh what prompted gavin newsom to kind of accept this uh on the republicans turf a fox news debate it's going to be moderated by sean hannity I, I think uh if i was gavin newsom's team i would be concerned about preferential treatment for desantis on the debate stage so i'm curious what was the motivating factor for gavin newsom to actually want to come into this venue and have this debate
0: well, i think he understands that people genuinely generally respect someone who's willing to do something like that you know what i mean like that's yeah that's generally going to earn you respect again whether or not you agree with them you're going to earn respect points by going into someone's ter- enemy territory, so to speak, right? I mean, you're just, that is a, that's something that is a natural human tendency to be able to do that. And as you mentioned, coming up on the quick hit, we're going to have Fox business correspondent Madison Allworth to talk about this debate that's coming up. And I, I think this is a, this is a big one. I think it's a big one for Ron DeSantis. I think, to be able to somehow distance himself, to be able to, if he wants to get himself out into uh, this status as a uh, close uh, second to President Trump, this is this is the time to do it. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, firepower from Governor DeSantis coming out, trying to take some uh, some quick hits and and really upping his leadership. I think I thought he did a a decent job in, in the first one, but I think I think he needs to time is running short, I think for him. And he's got to really, I think step up his game. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how this debate plays out in California in Simi Valley on Wednesday.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, the, the debate with, Newsome and DeSantis, not until November 30th. So it's a little bit on the back burner. But DeSantis has got some uh, issues in the immediate future. I mean, there's plenty uh, of candidates vying for... You know, coming after DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy. I thought he was very impressive in debate number one. Nikki Haley makes a, a convincing case. Tim Scott's got a great story. There's a lot of people that like Tim Scott. I think if Ron DeSantis starts or continues to have some scuffles in his campaign in these public events, there are people on the Republican side that are really nipping at his heels for that second slot.
0: Let's find out what else is trending.
2: What's trending?
0: National so you probably heard uh, our Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer relaxed Senate dress code so that uh, John Fetterman could uh, wear his uh, his attire, his uh, hoodie and his work pants. <laughs> Which I you probably have seen this, and and there was a, a meme floating around Ran, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, uh, wearing a, a robe, and I couldn't discern whether or not that was a Someone photoshopped that or that was a joke or what that was. But I tell you, it's fascinating to see uh, this relaxing of the rules for uh, Senator Fetterman, which uh, what, what, where do you end with this? Right. What, what, what's the what's the stopping point? What's the end point uh, for for this? And I think I saw someone joking on the Babylon B about the next uh, place that you end up is. That they're going to open up the reflection pool there in D.C. for Fetterman to take baths, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean it's such a man. I mean we 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 talked about this. Jason shared his thoughts last week. We call him uh, Tim. We call him John Sweaterman uh, on the show because of the, the the sweatshirts all the time that we you know during the the election last year that that was his thing. I guess uh, I just don't understand. What the appeal is on the Democrat side to, to do this, uh, I, I get it. You know, they prove a point. They ruffle a lot of feathers. But I don't know uh, why they think they couldn't use their time better than, than fighting this fight than advocating for John Fetterman to, to look like a slob on the Senate floor. I just don't think it's the most constructive use of time. Ultimately, if you're you know we're arguing about clothes, I, I, you know, there's bigger issues in the country, Tim.
0: There are bigger issues. There's
2: much bigger issues than than what John Fetterman's wearing.
0: Well, one of those issues, we're going to be in a few minutes talking to Caitlin Axe. She's a researcher for the Discovery Institute. We're going to be talking about the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, diving into some of the numbers that she's been researching around the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that have been spent on this. This is going to be a fascinating time. Uh, Talking to Caitlin from the Discovery Institute, also on the quick hit, Fox Business Correspondent Madison Allworth is going to join us to give us a preview of Wednesday's second Republican debate. So you're going to want to stay with us.
2: Yeah, I got I got one thing, Tim, before we go to break. We got our Freedom Series coming up that we announced last week. Uh, It's the last day for VIP tickets where you can pick your own seats. As of tomorrow, we'll open up the rest of the theater. But today, the last day for VIP tickets, that Freedom Series, Saving Washington State. Of course, Jason, Brian Suits from the morning show here on KTTH will be hosting that historic Everett Theater October 24th, now less than a month away. So get those VIP tickets. Last day, they're going to be on sale. Go to KTTH.com.
0: This is the Jason Ranch Show. I'm Tim Gatos, guest hosting today. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this on KTTH 770. The Jason Ranch Show. Here to react, Seattle Talk radio host Jason Ranch. And the rise of soft on crime laws and policies have made it worse.
2: Our man in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Ranch, is on that. And you keep on bringing her these extraordinary stories from Seattle. It's amazing. Long form.
0: Hey, joining us right now is Kayla Axe with the Discovery Institute. She is a researcher. She has been doing some incredible work around the demise of Partnership for Zero and some of the research behind that. Caitlin, welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, I tell you, this is a lot of folks are not, I guess, surprised, but a lot of folks are talking about it. How do we learn from this? How do we move forward? But tell us, tell us what you learned as you dove into uh, the finances, as you dove into the research on this.
3: Yes. So the numbers in our report show that Partnership for Zero, this government run Seattle Homelessness Outreach Program was a very expensive failure. Um, The program wasted millions of dollars prior to its collapse last week, and we need to stop funding organizations like this that don't work and start supporting the ones that do work and use money effectively. And that requires a level of transparency from the government and from nonprofits that our report shows we're currently lacking.
0: From a high level, what did you find out? I mean, what, what did you really see here?
3: Yeah, so Partnership for Zero, when it started in 2022, had $10 million in investments. Many of that uh, funding was from big corporations and foundations. We're talking Amazon, Boeing, Alaska Airlines, Starbucks. Um, And a year later, they had only housed 115 people at a price tag of $26,000 per person permanently housed. And to put that into perspective, Nonprofits like the Salvation Army and the Union Gospel Mission house people with similar methods for about $2,000 per person. So that's a fraction of the Partnership for Zero price tag.
0: This is so important, Caitlin. I mean, when you look at the numbers that that you put together here and as you compare and contrast with, as you mentioned, the Salvation Army, Union Gospel Mission. And Union Gospel Mission, they don't take um, money from the city or the county, do they?
3: Correct. Yeah.
0: So they're doing they're doing the work um, for just a fraction of the cost and 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 doing a a really good job at it. Where do we go from here?
3: Yeah, well, we think that the failure of of Partnership for Zero and the success of Salvation Army and Union Gospel Mission is really a reflection of of honestly our federal housing policy, Housing First, um, which is a failed policy. Uh, it's effectively housing only. And it says, similar to Partnership for Zero, if we just keep pouring money into this problem and we keep housing more people alone in free private housing, we'll solve the problem. And we're not going to solve the problem that way. And I think Union Gospel Mission and Salvation Army are probably doing a much better job of addressing the root causes of homelessness, like addiction and mental illness and broken relationships and treating people as a whole um, and we think that's far more effective.
0: There's a very well-known saying here in Seattle when it comes to what we're facing with, with crime and other things. It's been said for a number of years now, and it goes that we can't arrest our way out of it. If you've you've probably have heard that it's it's a mainstream slogan that's that's said. If you compare it to this situation here, it'd be fair to say we can't outspend our way out of this as well is I'm looking at the sheer amount of money. I mean, how much money has city, county, state, federal, in your estimation, put into our our homelessness crisis over the last three or four years? And would you agree that we can't outspend our way out of this thing?
3: Yeah, the numbers show that we can't outspend our way out of it. They've put hundreds of millions of dollars into this issue and we're seeing homelessness increasing, unsheltered homelessness increasing. KCRHA, the agency that led this Partnership for Zero program, gave out $107 million in contracts last year to nonprofits addressing homelessness. That's a ton of money. And only half of those top recipients making multi-million dollar contracts from the government were able to tell the public um, or tell me upon request how many people they're housing, so we need transparency in order to know which organizations to support.
0: I knew this was happening a couple of years ago when I mentioned this earlier. I was at an event a couple of years ago. they were launching the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, and they had the uh, communications senior vice president uh, as a speaker. And and it just like it it really dawned on me because I start to to look into man there's there's a communications senior vice president there's a junior vice president there's a PR person and so on and so forth and it's like man the homelessness authority this new governmental arm here in King County is is so bloated when it comes to staffing and they're paying a hundred eighty five thousand dollars for a communications person plus. Uh, a few people on that communications team and none of that money is, is going to someone who really is struggling and sincerely struggling with homelessness on the streets of Seattle.
3: Exactly. That's why we call it the homelessness industrial complex. As I'm sure you've heard one of the, the big factor that was increasing the cost for partnership for zero compared to other nonprofits, like, Salvation Army, Union Gospel Mission, was the salaries that they were paying their outreach workers. That was the vast majority of their spending was going to those salaries. And they're making double what other nonprofits are paying.
0: Yeah. It's a tough balance because, you know, we live in Seattle. And at one, you know, at one side, I don't want to say, oh, man, you know, these folks who are, you know, getting paid $50,000 a year at, say, you know, UGM or Salvation Army— uh, compared to you know the money that they're making at KCHRA, because it's so expensive to live here, right? I mean, I don't. I mean, fifty thousand yeah. dollars to live in Seattle is my goodness. You you will be living paycheck to paycheck because our our politicians have been making it so expensive to live here, and so that I I understand that there's a, a certain amount that folks need to make to actually. Be able to live here because it it is unbelievably expensive but but to see the sheer yeah. amount that of staffing that the regional homelessness authority had what was was astounding and i'm I'm curious how they are going to be able to you know really shift and sift and and do the right thing because right now I know that there's a lot of leaders in King County and especially leaders who are down in Let's say South King County in Auburn, in Kent, who were somewhat skeptical about how this was going to go. They weren't sure if they wanted to put their city's dollars into this thing because they're like, man, is this going to get mismanaged? And what they're seeing now is like, man, I was I was right. I was right. I'm so glad that I didn't put my city's dollars, hard-earned taxpayers' money into this thing because at this point, we, we don't know if this is going to be successful or not.
3: Yes, and a lot of people, even Mayor Bruce Harrell of Seattle, have expressed disappointment with this program. Um, Maybe one of the saddest things about the collapse is that these outreach workers, who many of them, I think all of them, were formerly homeless, they're losing their jobs. And the people at the top, the people that are You know, you're talking about the communications people and just the whole bureaucracy of it. They're going to keep their jobs. (laughs) And we have reason to think that KCRHA will continue and will continue to handle millions
0: of dollars coming through it. Caitlin, I do have to ask you about this. You know, one of the things that I uh, get a little bit just discouraged, frustrated by is that it feels like, and you mentioned it earlier about the housing first philosophy. And a lot of times, and I I mentioned this earlier in, in the show that a lot of times we don't focus on the person. We focus on the problem. And, Mm -hmm. and so when we do that, we're, we're completely losing out on what really can help folks get back um, on their feet again and get back into life and relationship and community is a significant part of that. And it seems like that is completely not part of the equation at all whatsoever. It boggles my mind that that is not even part of a conversation when it comes to these topics. It's kind of like COVID, you know, when we're, everyone's just so obsessed with COVID and they're not talking about actually eating healthy and being healthy and obesity and all these things that were significantly impacting people on COVID and it's the same thing here. It's like, how are we not talking about what can really help bring people back into life and wholeness and fullness again around relationships and community? Why are we not talking about that?
3: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tim. We have to be, if we truly care about people and we're truly seeking to be compassionate towards them, we have to be talking about addiction, mental illness, broken relationships. And I think there's this is an ideological battle at root, I think. And there seems to be a lot of pushback towards um, saying that, you know, it's not good to be addicted to substances, or you need help and treatment for mental illness, or, you know, family is important. And instead, we're trying to isolate people alone in housing to continue suffering with those things. And that's not compassionate. That is not loving.
0: Yeah, Caitlin Axe, researcher for the Discovery Institute. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for being with us today.
3: Thank you, Tim, for having
1: me.
0: Take care. The Jason Rant Show. Jason Rantz, you're a a noble soldier in the cause. You
2: are a strategist and a radio host. Dim on dim crime happening and we're covering it. Jason Rantz is our West Coast correspondent and joins us with a report on this.
1: So Jason, let's discuss this.
0: Joining us right now is Madison Allworth from Fox Business. Of course, coming up this Wednesday is the second Republican presidential debate. It's going to be held in California. Donald Trump, of course, will skip the event. He's going to give a speech in Detroit to auto workers. But, Madison, we're so glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Well, tell us, give, a, give us your insight. What do you expect? What are you hoping to see? Are there going to be any surprises?
1: Um, well, I'm sure there will be surprises because there's always surprises when you get seven candidates that hope to be president on a stage together. Um But yeah, I mean, in terms of what we're expecting, we are expecting those seven candidates. The official final list will be announced tonight, I believe, at 9 p.m. Eastern. But at this point, we will have seven candidates on stage. It's going to be Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Chris Christie, and Doug Burgum. Burgum qualifying just this weekend for his podium spot. Um, And yeah, it's going to be those seven candidates talking to hopefully the issues that you know, voters are having top of mind. And what we're hearing from voters is that immigration and the migrant crisis, it's everything to do with the economy, with inflation and mortgage rates and grocery bills. Um, and then age, that's something that's really come to the forefront in recent weeks, whether it's the age of the current president with more and more voters saying they're concerned about his ability to hold office or just an overall uh, age concern with our uh aging Washington elite system.
0: You know, our Seattle Mariners here, we have a do or die series with Houston starting tonight. Is this do or die for Ron DeSantis? I mean, he, he, normally he started, you know, he was a front runner, he was looking good and his campaign has floundered. What do you, what do you expect?
1: Yeah. I mean, DeSantis has been slumping in recent weeks and it's really something that we've seen since that, First debate. And while supporters thought he had a a solid performance, um, there definitely seemed to be acknowledgement that Ron DeSantis was overshadowed uh, really by the back and forth between Ramaswamy, Vice President Pence, uh, Nikki Haley, and and even Chris Christie at times. So I do think we're going to see DeSantis pushing for more time on stage. I think uh, I know from the moderators, I know one of our moderators, Dana Perino she's mentioned that she's really hoping that there's not as much talking over one another because you don't get as much answers from the candidates when they're just trying to uh, upstage no. one another. <laughs> exactly. But, but yeah, I mean, DeSantis has a lot to prove. He He's definitely started to flip and we, we have, you know, constantly looking at polling. We're seeing recent CNN New Hampshire polling that shows Ramaswamy with 13%, uh, Nikki Haley with 12 and DeSantis, um, sitting at just 10 percent in that state of New Hampshire. So you're starting to see, you know, these other candidates. He was for a long time the second in line behind Trump um, as the challenger. We rank them frontrunner being Trump challenger um, category. But now we're seeing these other challengers like Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley kind of push forward. So for DeSantis, this is going to be an important debate really for any of them, though, because at this point, that frontrunner of Trump really is so far ahead that you need If you want to make a splash, it's it's the time to do it.
0: There are some folks who think that DeSantis has a kind of a renewed shot as Trump recently has seems like maybe moving more towards the center with recent comments on abortion and COVID and things like that. Some people feel like this has left a window open for DeSantis to run to his right. Yeah, I mean, so when you
1: look at this stage, quite literally with the seven that are up there, and then also, of course, with President Trump, um, you really see these uh, GOP candidates kind of fall into two categories of either populism or traditional conservatism. And within the traditional conservatism category, you you see those candidates like uh, VP Pence. Uh, Donald Trump is is definitely in the populist category. DeSantis kind of rides that line um, between the two. He definitely has some populist ideas, but strong conservative values as well when it comes to things like abortion um, and things of that nature. So, yeah, I do think there's an opportunity there for DeSantis to make sure that his positions are made clear. But that's the same chance that everyone's going to hopefully take on the stage. They all want that opportunity to make it clear why they should be not only the person that beats out all the other GOP contenders, but ultimately President Biden,
0: have you been surprised at all with some of Trump's recent comments, you know, regarding you know COVID and abortion and gender identity?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that a lot of people, um, a lot of supporters of Trump, what we're seeing um, from the different super PACs or the different uh, groups that have a loud voice in these elections, they are somewhat surprised by uh, President Trump's comments. But if there's, something, if there's anything consistent about Trump, it's his um, ability to change. This is someone who, uh, you know, he speaks his mind. And so I don't think we're surprised in that regard that he just tells it like it is in, in Trump's world. And so while some of it is a departure of what maybe he said the first time around when he held the office, um, it's the same kind of Trump rhetoric that we've come to know from this both president and now, again, presidential candidate
0: in my mind it seems like okay he feels like hey i've i've locked up the the nomination and i'm going to go ahead and just start campaigning for the general do, do you get that sense that he's just he, he's kind of being strategic and mo- maneuvering more towards the center now
1: yeah i think that's a really astute observation i mean for better or worse he feels that he's he's locked up that nomination of course we're still 4 months away from anything like that happening and polling, as we know, because when President Trump the first time around had very low polling, so anything can happen. But, yes, it would seem that he feels he's moved on to the second stage of running, which happens almost every time when you're in the primaries, you're really, you know, focusing on your base, and then you need to move more centric for the general election. So one could say that that's the strategy he's taking. Uh, But, you know, I'm curious to see what happens after another debate stage where, As far as we can tell, he will not be coming. And if that will do anything uh, to his supporter base, you know, you don't want to put the cart before the horse. It seems that he might be doing that. And I think there's some supporters of Trump that are perfectly fine with that. There's many voters that are interested in other options or maybe are interested in him and, and don't like that he's kind of, you know, counting his chickens before they hatch. So, I do think that that's an astute, based off of his strategy, one could say he's moved into the second stage of his campaign, despite the fact that we are very much still in primary season.
0: Madison, if you had to predict one person to surprise and and really kind of come and walk away a little bit from the pack after Wednesday, who would would that one person be for you?
1: Okay, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you two, (laughs) if that's all right. So, So I think that, Vivek will have a spotlight on him in a way that he didn't for for the first debate. I think a big part of um, his flash was that, and he said it himself. His first response was saying hello. My name is Vivek Ramaswamy, and you might be wondering why why am I up here. He won't have that same. He can't have that same strategy this time around because he's surged so much in the polls and obviously so many more voters know him now. So it's going to be I'm really curious to see what strategy he takes with this second debate. So I think there's going to be something to be watching there. And then Nikki Haley, I think, has a real opportunity as well. There's some polling coming out uh, through this weekend that shows her leading Biden at the NBC poll by five points if an election was to happen today. And it was between Biden and Haley. Haley's up by five. So I think going into this debate, she has more of a spotlight on her. She had, I think, by all accounts, a strong performance debate one. So there's going to be, again, a focus on her to see if she can turn the second debate into an even stronger uh, push ahead in the polls.
0: Fox Businesses, Madison Allworth, Madison, thank you so much for joining us today on the Jason Rand Show. We really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely, Tim. Thanks for having me.
0: Have a good day.